Oh God, we confess to you that, um, Lord, we need something so much more than just a moralistic um, pep talk right now. God, we desperately need to see the beauty of Jesus. God, we wanna marvel at Jesus and be transformed by him. And so God, I pray that you would help us to see him clearly in this text. God, we can't see or understand him without you. And so would you use your spirit to enlighten us, to give us wisdom, give us discernment around your word today that we might walk out of this room changed and transform more into the likeness of Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been watching TV and kind of flipping through the channels and all of a sudden you see this commercial before you that has everything to do with fitness or weight loss? Like we've all probably been there before. You see this commercial and right on the screen is this comparison. You know, these two pictures of the same guy. The guy on the left is um, you know, terribly unhappy. You know, he took this photo with his shirt off. It's unfavorable lights. You know, he's overweight and, you know, for some reason hairy or whatever. And that's him on the left, right? And then you've got this picture on the right, same guy, a couple weeks later, maybe a couple months later, and, um, and he's drastically different, right? He looks happy, he has a flat stomach, he's got muscles bulging everywhere, you know, even through his neck and stuff. And you look at that side-by-side comparison, that transformation, if you will, and the commercial that you're watching, it's trying to sell you something, right? It's trying to sell you the product, you know, hey, take this strange-looking pill and you can look like the guy on the right, or do this weird exercise for two minutes a day and you can look like him, right? It's always trying to sell you something. Well, in my experience, we usually have one of three reactions to those kinds of commercials. Reaction number one is you're watching that and you see the guy on the right and you're like immediately filled with guilt, right? This is typically how I respond as I'm watching this, scarfing down Taco Bell. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm gonna look like the guy on the right, you know? So I, you know, quickly wanna change the channel. I don't wanna talk about transformation. I don't wanna talk about new habits or, you know, better diet. Like, let's just kind of move on, right? It's reaction number one. Reaction number two tends to be you're watching this and you're just not convinced that you need this. Right, you're like, ah, you know, I, I know I don't look like the guy on the right with muscles bulging everywhere, but I definitely don't look like the guy on the left. Like, I think I'm okay, right? And so you just quickly kind of change the channel and move on. Or you have reaction number three, where you're watching this comparison and you think to yourself, man, I, I need that. Like, I don't exactly want that pill or that strange looking exercise, but I need some new habits in my life. I need some change, you know? I don't necessarily even wanna look like the guy on the right, but I could use some transformation in my life. I just have no idea what that looks like or how to even accomplish that. And so because of that, we change the channel. Well, I share that with you this morning because those three common reactions are the three most common reactions in not just talking about physical transformation, but also spiritual transformation. Of course, there are other reactions when you're talking about biblical change, but those three reactions tend to be how we feel when we're confronted with biblical change. Either we're confronted and, and we're immediately filled with guilt, and we think there's no way I can change, there's no way I can possibly look like what the scriptures has to say about a growing Christian, I'm always gonna be struggling with this particular area of sin in my life, and so what we tend to do is we wanna change the channel as quickly as possible, or we wanna busy ourselves with career and family or hobbies or whatever it is, as long as we're not talking about transformation, let's move on, right? Or reaction number two is we're just not convinced we need it. 
You know, we think to ourselves, yes, I'm not the most godly person I know, but I'm definitely not the most sinful person that I know. I think I'm doing okay when I kind of compare myself to other people, and so we quickly move on. Or we have reaction number three, and that is we're confronted with biblical transformation, and we think, yeah, I need that, but I have no idea how that would work in my life or what that would even look like, and so we quickly move on. And it's because of those three reasons and probably more of why I wanna take just a pause in the Gospel of John and look at this idea of transformation, how to experience real and lasting change in our lives. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at three aspects of transformation. We're gonna start with today and look at the picture of transformation. What do we mean when we talk about transformation? And then next week, we'll look at the problem of transformation, the problem that we all face and we all experience. And then the third week, we'll look at the process of transformation. So how and what does that actually look like in my life? And I want you to know before we dive into uh, this sermon series that the aim of this sermon series is not to fill you or motivate you with guilt. Okay, I don't wanna stand up here, you know, pound the pulpit and heap a bunch of guilt upon your life because you don't look more and more like Jesus. Like that will do no one any good and it won't produce the lasting change that you and I desperately need. But part of the aim of this sermon series is I do want you and I want myself to see the need for transformation and change in our lives, that we're all a work in progress. We all have areas in our lives that desperately needs to be invaded by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to, to see the need, but also to have the clarity of how to actually experience that change in your life. And I want us just to be motivated to be more godly in 2019 than in 2018. I'm really excited about this series. I think it's a, it's a strong need right now in our church. So before we dive into the specifics of Ephesians 4, um, I wanna provide a helpful definition of transformation since we're gonna be talking about this word a lot over the next couple of weeks. I want you and I to be on the same page of what we mean when we say transformation. Here's maybe a helpful one sentence definition. A biblical transformation is the process of the spirit of God changing an individual into the image of the son of God as the word of God reveals the glory of God. Okay, now that sentence is a mouthful, has a lot of important aspects, so every word, every phrase is, is really significant. I'll be uh, unpacking this over the next couple of weeks, but there should be a few things that stand out to you as you look at this definition. Number one, this whole idea of transformation is entirely God-centered, right? I wanted to throw in of God or because of God because Transformation is God's idea, and he uses the spirit of God as the agent for change in our lives, and also the word of God to invoke the power of God to produce that in our lives practically. And the goal, of course, is to look more and more like Jesus over a process. And so a couple other things about transformation. When we're talking about this, I'm not talking about justification. Okay, justification is just a, a fancy theological word that means the decisive moment in which God declares a sinner to be righteous. Okay, that's what justification means. It's your moment of salvation. We're not really talking a lot about this throughout this sermon series. We're talking more about sanctification whenever we're talking about transformation. Now, sanctification is also another fancy theological term that means the process 
of looking more and more like Jesus. Okay, it's just a big fancy word, but I think we need to understand both. And the reason why we need to understand both and how it relates to transformation is because you and I have a gap problem spiritually. Like you and I have this gap, this issue with what we confessionally believe up here and our functional belief and how we live out our beliefs. There tends to be distance between what we say we believe and then how we actually live that out in our day in and day out lives. Like you feel that gap and I feel that gap and sometimes we don't really know what to do with that or what that actually means. Like for example, like in my own life, when I spend time with the Lord in the mornings with my cup of coffee and I'm immersing myself in the scriptures, I'm soaking in prayer, like I feel the most godly version of myself, right? I feel closest to the Lord. But then like an hour or two later, when I get into my car and you know, I might be stuck in traffic and someone cuts me off, something tends to come out of my heart, usually frustration, maybe even anger in that moment, that reveals that I struggle with this gap, this gap between what I claim to believe and then what I actually live out in my day in and day out life. And look, we have thousands of those moments. We have all kinds of moments throughout the day where we have these opportunities to reveal what we actually believe, our functional faith, and who we actually are. And from time to time, we have these gaps and this distance that reveals that we need to apply more of what we know to be true in our day in and day out life. So transformation is really just this progressive narrowing of the gap between our confessional faith and our functional faith. And it's radical, it's messy, it's not always linear. Like I wish it was like, oh yeah, you plug this in plus that and you're you know, looking more and more like Jesus. But look, oftentimes it's two steps forward, one step backward. And it's really messy as we live out the truths of Jesus in our lives. And so that's kind of what we mean by, by transformation as we dive in today. Now with that in mind, let's look at Ephesians chapter four. And we'll be looking at specifically verses 20 through 24. But I do have to give credit to those those weight loss commercials, because look, there is something about comparison that helps clarify the need for change. Like when you have put before you what you don't wanna look like and what you do wanna look like, that kind of brings out a desire for change in your life. I think that's true with weight loss. I think that's also true here in Ephesians chapter four where Paul uses that same kind of technique in verses 17 through 32. What Paul does in this passage is he puts before us this side-by-side comparison of the old person and the new person in Christ. And so I wanna look at that, and hopefully after we we're done this morning, we have a helpful picture of what transformation actually looks like. Okay, so four realities to this picture of transformation that I'm gonna point out in these verses. Here's reality number one, verses 20 and 21, that transformation is about a person. Transformation is about a person. As we pick up in verse 20, you need to know that verses 17, 18, and 19, Paul has just taken a deep dive into describing the person who has not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls this person the old person. And in these verses, he says that the old person is futile in their minds, is darkened in their understanding, is alienated from the life of God, ignorance is in them, 
There's a hardness of heart. There's a callousness. There's an indulging in sensuality, greed, and impurity. I mean, wow. Like, that, that, is, that is quite a list. Like, we're, we're meant to feel the heaviness of that list. This is the old person. To go back to the uh, illustration in my introduction, this is someone who is spiritually dead because of the obesity of sin, that they've been consuming sin over and over and over again. And according to Ephesians 2, they are now dead in their sins and in their transgressions. And so this is the old person. And then you get to verse 20 and Paul says, but, okay, so you see the contrast is coming, there's a comparison coming. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Look, what a powerful statement by the Apostle Paul. This is the way that he begins talking and describing transformation. That the way he begins is, is not by saying that you are transformed by following a list of rules or laws. It's not how he begins this thing. He doesn't say that transformation is switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of the law. No, he doesn't say, hey, here, here are five steps for transformation for you to conform to some exterior appearance. No, the way that Paul begins talking about transformation is he says the whole reality of being transformed is found in a person and his name is Jesus that the way that you're transformed is by learning Christ, being taught in Christ, following Christ, and loving Christ. That's the way that we are transformed. We've said this over and over again. You become what you behold. What your soul is looking at, what you are focused upon, that is what you will become, and that is how you are transformed. And I wanna kind of begin this whole sermon series with this first point, because this sets the trajectory of what transformation will look like in your life. I wanna be abundantly clear of what we're trying to do as leaders and pastors and elders at this church on Sunday mornings, part of the aim, part of what we're trying to do in small groups and Bible studies and equip classes and children's ministry and student ministry is we want you to be transformed by a person. We don't want you to be transformed or to conform to some exterior appearance or to some rules or some law. And look, it, it's so easy to just wanna fit the mold, to just conform instead of be transformed, right? Like we're smart enough people to, to kind of figure out what do good Christians say? What do good Christians do? Uh, how do good Christians act? And to kind of just imitate that. I'm just gonna kind of conform to what other people are doing just to fit the mold without ever being consumed with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look, that's not our aim. Number one, that change, that conformity won't last. And number two, that's not the vision of transformation that the scriptures have. Paul says, to begin this whole thing, you learn about Jesus and you're taught in Jesus. So our goal here is that you have more of Jesus in your life and that you're not just using Jesus as a means to your own end, but that you look more godly and that you're more in love with Jesus. The transformation is about a person. Number two, the second reality I wanna point out in this passage is that transformation starts with new life. It starts with new life. In verses 22 through 24, Paul says this, picking up there in verse 22, he says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Pause there for a moment. I want you to just follow Paul's logic here in this passage. If you looked at verses 20 and 21, he's saying the beginning of your transformations that you first learned about Christ, you were taught in him, okay? So the question you should be asking yourself is, well, what, what were we taught in Christ? What were the Ephesians taught when they first learned about Jesus? Well, he answers that question in verses 22 through 24. He says that what you learned about Christ, what you were taught in him, was to put off the old self, verse 22, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, verse 23, and to put on the new self in verse 24. Now, those three kind of phrases are infinitives, and those three infinitives are really important in not only shaping the picture of transformation for us, but in how transformation even begins. Okay, now let me unpack that a little bit. These three infinitives, the first and the third infinitive, actually occur in the Greek in a different verbal tense than the second infinitive. Okay, the first and the third, the put off the old self and put on the new self, occur in the aorist tense, which is something that happened in the past. It was a, a past action and was happening in, in a decisive moment. But the second infinitive there, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that is in the present. That is something that is to be happening continually every day as you follow Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here with those three infinitives is that when you first learned about Jesus, when you were first converted, when you were first justified, something happened decisively in a moment to both the old person and your new person. And what Paul said happened is that you put off the old person and you put on the new person. Boom, it's done. It happened in the past, and that's not something that you need to continually do here in the present. It's already been accomplished in the moment of your conversion and the moment of your justification. This is how transformation begins with putting off the old man and putting on the new. Paul says this similarly, but differently in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Paul does not say there is that I am being crucified. Doesn't say that. He says, no, no, I've been crucified. Old person has died. Old person has been crucified. Now this new person is Jesus Christ living in and through me. And so transformation begins with new life and transformation is the result of new life. Okay, we gotta get the order right. That you don't transform yourself in order to receive new life you don't clean yourself up before coming to faith in Jesus. No, you come to faith in Jesus, and then as a result, he begins to transform you. I love this language that Paul uses, the putting on and the putting off here. This was language that he is borrowing from this first century to talk about putting off old clothes and putting on new clothes. This image is really helpful because I think what Paul is saying here is your old person uh, before Christ, the clothes that you wore, the spiritual clothes were drenched in sin. It was covered in the mud of your rebellion. It was stained with shame. And yet the moment of your conversion, what Jesus lovingly did is he approached you and he took off his own spiritual clothes of righteousness, of holiness, of blamelessness, these pure clothes of Jesus. He takes that off 
And then he looks at you and takes off your, spirit, your sinfully stained clothes and he makes an exchange, puts off the old person and puts on the new. Look, that is the beauty of the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ actually accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago, is that Jesus, when he hung there, he wore the sin of the world. He wore the shame and the guilt of sinners, of us, the things that we committed. Jesus hung there and it was placed upon him. He died in our place. Three days later, he raises to new life so that all who trust and put their faith upon him get to experience this exchange. And look, this exchange is so scandalous. It is so unbelievable that we get to take off these clothes marred by sin, marred by the disgustingness of our own shame and guilt. We take that off and Jesus puts on us his own clothes of righteousness so that God accepts us and God loves us. But that's the beauty of the gospel here. And Paul says that happened the moment you put your faith upon Jesus, put off the old self and put on the new. Love that transformation happens because of the power of the gospel, that you don't really change yourself, that the gospel and the power of Jesus gets applied into your everyday life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. That to be a Christian means that there is a fundamental break with the old person, with the past, and that transformation begins with this new life in Jesus. Well, thirdly, the third reality I wanna point out in this passage is that transformation is a process and not a destination. It's a process and not a destination. This is something that does not happen in a moment. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that you read a book on transformation and all of a sudden you're a master uh, on transformation, but this is a lifelong process of following Jesus. I think this is what Paul means in verse 23 when he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. As I stated earlier, this uh, infinitive is in the present, meaning this is something that we are to do continually and daily. This is part of what it means to learn about Jesus and to be taught in uh, Jesus. And it's really interesting to see these three infinitives, and you have these first and third that were actions in the past, and in between there, sandwiched, is this, uh, almost this command to do in the present. And we have to remember that Paul is working with uh, the, these kind of constructs of, of who we are in Christ that's not always apparent in this passage here, but it's apparent throughout his whole letters, especially in Colossians 3. See, according to Paul, if you are a Christian, you are actually in two different places. That there's one place in Colossians 3 where you are hidden in Jesus, you stand at the right hand of the Father, and you are seated in the heavenlies. That's okay, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 and 3. That's where you are, that's who you are in Jesus. You're blameless, you're perfect, you're holy, and you're accepted. But then there's also a second position, that's more of your practical position, and that's the position that you and I have each and every day, where we wage war against sin. And so much of Paul's commands all throughout the letters, you can basically summarize with this, Paul is basically saying, become who you really are in Christ. 
Become Colossians 3, that you are seated in the heavenlies and you are perfect and you are blameless. Now you need to become that in this process of sanctification and transformation. And one of the most important aspects of that process is renewing the spirit of your mind. Now, what in the world does Paul mean with this phrase? Like this is, this is kind of a strange phrase. Like you may not find this throughout his, his letters. Like it's weird to think that your, your, um, your mind has a spirit, okay? Now what I think Paul means here, at, what I think he at least means is that the human mind is not a sophisticated computer that's constantly managing data that then sends to the heart for an appropriate emotional response. Okay, I wish it was that easy. I wish we could just like plug and play, like there was some type of equation for us to become mature followers of Jesus. But Paul says the mind has a spirit. In other words, the mind has like a mindset. It doesn't just have a view, it has a viewpoint. It doesn't just have the power to perceive and to detect, but the mind has a bent, it has an attitude, it has a posture and a demeanor. And what Paul is saying here is it needs to be renewed. It needs some work in order for you to live out the truth of the gospel. And the reason for that is because we're still waging war against sin. Yes, we have this new person, but as Paul would say, you need to become that in the renewal of your mind. Uh, John Piper says, the need for this to be continual is because of this, that the problem with our minds is not merely that we are finite, it's not that we don't have all the information, but the problem is that our minds are fallen, that they have a spirit, a bent, a mindset that is hostile to the absolute supremacy of God, that our minds are bent on not seeing God as infinitely more worthy of praise than we are or the things we make or achieve. And so because of that, our minds constantly need to be renewed. And the other reason for this is just practically speaking, it seems like 95% of life is just spillover from what goes on up here and what goes on in here. Okay, what I mean by that is that you and I make thousands of split-second decisions and reactions and desires all throughout the day. That there's no way we can possibly plan, prepare, and pray over every single decision, desire, and reaction throughout the day, right? Uh, we might do that with maybe a handful of decisions, but most of what we go through in life is a reaction to what we've been doing up here and in here. That's why I say 95% is like, it's spillover. It automatically comes out of what we've been doing in here. Like, Someone cuts you off in traffic and bam, whatever's in here comes out. Like your child spills milk or juice all over your new clothes or new furniture, bam, whatever's in here and up here comes out, right? It's almost like your life is like a cup and whatever you fill the cup of your life with, whenever you get bumped, which we get bumped all throughout the day, it spills out. It's like a glass of water. You bump the glass of water, water's going to come out. And what Paul is instructing us with is to make sure that we are renewing our minds so that when we get bumped, what comes out is godliness and not things related to the old person in verses 17 through 19. Look, we get bumped all of the time, don't we? Your coworker cuts you down in front of your peers, you get bumped. What's gonna come out? It's what you've been doing up here and in here. 
Your spouse says something harsh to you. You get bumped and something will come out. And look, I, I'm not gonna get into the details today of, of how to renew your minds. We'll get to that in, in a moment. But uh, what I want to exhort you with this morning is to engage in the battle of your mind, that you have got to win the battle of what's going on up here. Because whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, there is a battle waging up in here of the enemy of our flesh that's trying to fill your mind with things that do not match the truth of scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have got to wage war in the renewal of your mind. You've gotta take every thought captive. You've gotta challenge it and you've gotta submit it to the truth of Jesus. Because if you just swim through life without renewing your mind, what, when you get bumped, what will come out will be ungodliness, and you'll think to yourself, man, why do I have all of these gaps? I spend time with the Lord, I go to church, I'm part of a small group, and yet I react this way to my spouse, or I react this way to my kid, or this way to my coworkers. Why is there a distance? Well, there's a distance because you're not participating in the discipline of renewing your mind all throughout the day. That your transformation, your sanctification is not hinging upon two or three big moments in your life or even big moments throughout the day. Your transformation occurs in the thousands of little decisions and reactions all throughout the day that are shaping you and conforming you either to the image of Jesus or to the image of the world. And my exhortation to you this morning is to make sure that you are waging war in that battle of what's coming in here and what you are feeding your soul. And we'll get into the specifics of how exactly that looks like, but I just wanna emphasize this is a process. Like, this is a messy, messy process of sometimes two steps forward and one step back. I wish we had like some, you know, magic holy water you could just drink and all of a sudden, you know, things would be clear about how to be conformed to the image of Christ, but that's not the way it works. That we're called to trust in Jesus every moment of the day as he brings things into our lives that conform us to the image of Christ. Love Philippians 1, 6, because Paul promises that God is involved in this process. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Part of that process, if you're saved, he's going to carry you forward into the image of Christ in this process throughout life. That's reality number three. Reality number four, we'll close with this this morning, is that transformation is God's idea. Transformation is God's Idea. If you look at verse 24, don't miss this. Paul tells us with that third infinitive to put on the new self. And he says this new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, verse 24 is telling us that, that, that the new self has been created by God. This new self of righteousness and holiness. And it's created by God because this whole idea of transformation and sanctification is God's idea, that it is God who saves us and also transforms us. Look, I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for verse 24. I'm so thankful that the new self is created by God and it's not created and dependent upon Chris Beals. I'm so thankful that God has 
a vested interest in the transformation of me becoming like that new person. Why? Because this new self is created after God's likeness. So if you're a Christian, you are representing who God is to the world and to those around you. And God is invested in that process of you looking and becoming more and more like Jesus. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 22, uh, or 23 and 24. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, right? This doesn't say sanctify you a little bit or halfway or only on Sundays. No, no, he says completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Look, this transformation is God's idea that he wants to sanctify us, he's faithful to do that, which means he will give us everything we need for life and godliness, right? Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. But transformation is possible because look, God cares about your transformation way more than you do. And he will encourage you, he will convict you, he will stir within you, he will stretch you, he will put experiences and people and situations in your life in order to carry you forward in the process of looking more and more like Jesus. Even Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created, okay, same word in our verse 24, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Look, God cares so much about your transformation. This is what he's done for you. He has promised to sanctify you completely and you can take that to the bank because of his faithfulness. He has given you everything you need for life and godliness, okay? And not only that, but he's also prepared the good works beforehand for you to walk in them. So he's given you his faithfulness, he's given you his power, and he's given you these opportunities in order to be transformed into the person of Jesus Christ. Look, you are not alone in the process of transformation. This is not all up to you, but God is invested in this process. Let me close with this quote by Kevin D. Young. Talks about transformation this way. He says, the Bible is realistic about holiness. Don't think that all this glorious talk about dying to sin and living to God means there's no struggle anymore or that sin will never show up in the believer's life. No, the Christian life still entails obedience. It still involves a fight, but it's a fight we will win, that you have the spirit of Christ in your corner, rubbing your shoulders, holding the bucket, putting his arm around you and saying before the next round with sin, you're going to knock him out, kid. Sin may get in some good jabs, it may clean your clock once in a while, it may bring you to your knees, but if you are in Christ, it will never knock you out, that you are no longer a slave, but free, that sin has no dominion over you, it can't, it won't, a new king sits on the throne, you serve a different master, you salute a different Lord." Look, I don't know where you're at this morning with this journey of transformation. Look, maybe you need to hear this this morning, that transformation is possible, that freedom from sin is made possible because there is a new king who sits on the throne of your heart 
And that new king has an unlimited amount of power who wants you to be transformed in the image of Christ. Look, he's committed to this. And it's not because you're so great. It's not because you're so disciplined or so determined, but it's because God in his mercy is faithful to sanctify you completely. God cares and loves about you that much. And look, your, your sin, take this the right way, your sin and your laziness and your inadequacy is no match for the power and sovereignty of God. Like God's committed to this and nothing is going to thwart that. He's in this process and look, he invites you to come alongside and to participate in what he's already doing in your life and what he already has planned. Look, my question for you is, is are, you, are you in it? Are you in this thing to, to participate in the transformation of looking more like Jesus? Are you fighting? Are you engaging? Because God is, is in it. He's in it 100%. Well, as I close this morning, we're gonna sing one last song. And as we do, just want you to reflect on this question, maybe reflect on this question throughout the rest of the week. But I want you to just ask the Spirit of God to perhaps reveal an area of your life that needs to be transformed. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you need biblical change. Might be a mindset, might be a desire, might be a habit that that you need change to the power of the gospel and the spirit of God within you. And I just wanna challenge you to identify that area today and throughout this week and just to bring that before the Lord to maybe use some of the scripture we've looked at this morning and to process that through the lens of these great promises. And then hopefully the next couple of weeks we'll see some change and some growth in that area. So let's pray together. God, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of God who uses it to press it deeply into our hearts and to our souls. God, we thank you that there were things done over the last couple of moments, this mysterious dialogue between the spirit and our own souls, God, that we can walk out of here confident that your word will not come back void. God, that you will produce fruit throughout this week through the seeds that were planted. And so God, I pray that you would give us the motivation to live a godly life because you've made it possible through Jesus. And God, help us to identify those areas where we do need change, we do need to be transformed, not for our own glory, but for the glory of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen.